Let's open our Bibles to First uh, Samuel, the first chapter. First Samuel, the first chapter. At the end of the message today, we're going to be dedicating Brian and Debbie's baby, Liam, to the Lord. And so it just seems like we need to just talk about dedication today. Um, You know, dedication is comprised of two things, the second thing being more important than the first. The first part of dedication is words, and the second part of dedication is ongoing actions. You know... It's real easy to commit ourselves to the Lord in words, but it's another thing to stay committed and dedicated with ongoing actions over the long haul. You need to understand Christianity is a lot easier to speak than it is to live because Christianity goes against everything that our fallen flesh wants to do. So it's real easy to talk a good game, but it's another thing to walk the walk. And, you know, Jesus spoke about people who drew near to him with their words, but denied him with their actions. And the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Uh, It's better not to commit yourself to pray 30 minutes a day than to commit yourself to pray 30 minutes a day and then not do it. It's better not to vow with your words than to vow with your words and not make good on it. Has anyone ever been like me and you've made a vow to spend 30 minutes a day on the treadmill and you know, you're not going to eat any more fried foods or whatever, you know, and that lasts uh, three or four days and then you're right back to it. Has anybody ever done that besides me? And so it's, it, you need to realize that about yourself. It's, it, it, you know, it's a whole lot easier to, to declare things with your words than it is to, to live uh, what, you've, what you've dedicated yourself to. Again, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. You know, a, a baby dedication, and, and this we're speaking this today to all of us. All of us need to hear this. A baby dedication is no more than an empty religious exercise if the parents, the grandparents, the church family, extended family, you know, if if all of us do not continually live a dedicated life in front of the child that's being dedicated. You must understand that. A, a baby dedication, I don't care whose baby it is, is nothing more than an empty religious exercise. If the parents, the grandparents, other family members, aunts, uncles, uh, church family, Do not continually live a dedicated life in front of that child that's being dedicated. You you need to realize that. Now, in 1 Samuel, the first chapter in verse 11, you know, Hannah was a a lady there in the Old Testament and she didn't have any children. She asked the Lord to to give her a a, a son. And eventually, you know, she, she... got a son his name was Samuel but notice in 1 Samuel 1 11, 
1 Samuel 1.11, it says she, this, is, this lady's name is Hannah, she made a what? She made a vow, didn't she? She made a vow to the Lord. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. See, she couldn't have children, but she prayed and, and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him, notice, here's the vow. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come on his head. That just means that she was dedicating him to the service of the ministry. And uh, notice, if you would, in 1 Samuel 1 here, verse 27, 1 Samuel 1, 27, because eventually she was given a son and called his name Samuel. And then notice in verse 27, for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition or my prayer, which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. So so before she had Samuel, she words, she dedicated, you know, if you give me a son, I'll I'll give him to you, Lord, for your service. And then she has the son, and then notice she's gonna make good on her words now, but still just words here. I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there. And then if you look at 1 Samuel 2, verse 18, notice that Hannah's dedication was not just in words, but it was in, in also in ongoing action. Hannah's dedication, you see it right here. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Now look at verse 19. Moreover, his mother that's Hannah, used to make him a little robe. Now watch this. And bring it to him, and bring it to him, what? Year by year. When she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now, the thing you need to realize here is that Hannah was not just leaving Samuel in the children's church for an hour on Sunday while she went to the adult service and then went and got him and they went home. She left him at church and wouldn't see him, as I read it here, she'd see him once a year when she'd go up to the, to the temple. Now, is she making good on her words, her vow that she spoke to the Lord? And how? I mean, how many parents are gonna, I mean, how many parents are gonna bring their church, their children to church on Sunday, much less leave them there for a whole year at a time. Now, I'm not saying you all have to do that. Certainly not. But <laughs> you had a couple you'd like to leave here for a year at a time. But do you see her dedication? I mean, this is serious word she spoke, but then she made good on it, didn't she? And he became one of, Samuel became one of the foremost prophets of God in, in, in the Bible. So dedication, she dedicated him to the Lord, but she also lived right before him and, and did the right things. Now notice another one here. Let's just go to Daniel chapter six and verse 10. Daniel, you know, he's the fellow that was thrown to the lions and much we could say about that. But for this message today, Daniel six, verse 10, notice here, because they made a rule that if you 
worshiped God, you'd get thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and that was the law that if you worship God, you're gonna get thrown to the lions. Notice he went home and in his upper room with his windows open. Now that's significant because with his windows open, he, he didn't care who, he was not ashamed of worshiping God. He didn't care who saw him. With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now watch this. As, his, as was his custom since what? Since early days. So he learned that when he was young. Somebody taught him. I believe it was his parents, grandparents, perhaps other folks that he was around when he was young. I tell you what, when kids are little, they're so impressionable. And what you do to them and with them in those early years, it's so vital and so important. And uh, But Daniel was dedicated to God, but he learned that as a child. And he learned it from somebody. I think his parents, grandparents, others that he was around, you know, you could, could argue that out. But notice here uh, something else with Daniel in chapter 6. Notice verse 16. Look at verse 16. So the king gave the command... And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you what? Serve continually, he will deliver you. But the point there is that Daniel was dedicated to God. And it wasn't just a one-time thing or occasionally or whenever he felt like it. It was on a continual, ongoing basis. And here you have one of, the, one of the foremost characters in all the Bible. Notice, if you would, let's move to the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. You know, Timothy was a, a young pastor, you know, in the New Testament, in the early days of the church, you know. And, uh, and the apostle Paul mentored him and kind of took him under his wing but before, long before Paul ever got to Timothy, who's one of the finest men in all the Bible, uh, really cared for God's people as a pastor. Notice long before Paul ever got to him, you know, look here, 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul writes, he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, talking to Timothy, but watch this, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. See that faith that was in Timothy started with his grandmother and then his mother and it got into him also. And I'll guarantee it to you, if it wasn't for his mother and grandmother, Timothy wouldn't have been the person that he turned out to be. It was when he was young, he saw the dedication that was in his mother and his grandmother and it affected him for the good. And, and uh, I just can't overemphasize enough or emphasize enough to you. I need to emphasize it to the point of overemphasis. That's so important that, that, that we don't just talk a good game in front of little ones, but we also live it. And that doesn't just go for the parents. That goes for the grandparents, aunts, uncles, and it also goes for the church family when they come to church. You understand that? It's a responsibility that we all have. Like when we dedicate this young uh, fellow today, we all have a, a, a part to play in his life. You understand that? And it's important that he sees genuine, genuine uh, faith in us. 
not just in our words, but in our actions. Remember, actions what? Speak. Is that right? And uh, now, notice here in, in 2 Timothy, let's go to chapter 3, verse 14, a little more on Timothy. 2 Timothy three fourteen. Now, Paul tells him, but you must continue, see that word continue, in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, who did he learn them from? Well, look, look at verse 15. And that from what? From, from, from childhood or infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Where did he get that from? He got that from his mother and his grandmother. Is that right? Very, very important that we live right before young people. Now, we could go on and on about that, but let's go to Luke, the second chapter, and let's talk about the Lord Jesus himself. You know that Jesus was just as much God as he was man. Is that right? Just as much man as he was God, 100% God, 100% man. You need to realize that in the earth, as he ministered and walked upon the earth, though he was God, he never stopped being God. He was always God. But he was here in the earth operating as a human being. I like to say it this way. He laid down his expression of deity, but he never laid down his possession of it. You understand that? But yet he was 100% man. He was just as much human as you or me. And it's interesting what his parents did for him. Now you understand he had an earthly mother, but he didn't have an earthly father. He was born of a virgin. Is that right? But but Joseph stepped in there as we would say his stepfather, you know. You know, that brings up a good point. You know, step step parents are just as vital as natural parents. I've seen it over the years. I've seen natural parents not be really parents at all. Where the step the step parents were more influential on the children than their their natural parents. Do you understand that? So so there's a role. There's you know there's blended families, things like that, and uh, you know, all of us, whether we're the natural. Again, I've seen step parents be far better parents than the natural biological parents. You understand that? And so God, the Father, entrusted Jesus, His Son, to Mary and. Joseph, who would be his stepfather. But notice here in Luke 2, 21, when eight days were accomplished, this was eight days after Jesus had been born. Notice when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, when Mary's purification according to the law of Moses were completed, notice they, does it say they sent him or they brought him? They brought him. You know, I've watched this over the years, in years gone by. There's a lot of times you'll see parents send their children to church. I've already seen it in years gone by. They'll drop them off at the front door, send them in, and then pick them up when the Sunday school class is over. You know, that that makes a, a bad impression on a child, doesn't it? You know, well, I have to go, but mom and daddy, they, they're not going. I remember my, my dad sat with me in, in Sunday school, he sat there right with me uh, he, because I was, uh, I guess I was a, I just didn't want to be alone. 
But he sat there with me. I remember that. I was the only one in the room that had, you know, there was eight or ten other kids and the Sunday school teacher and my dad, you know. And then when I, when I started first grade, my father, uh, well, he passed away when I was in second grade. But in first grade, I, I, every time when first grade started, first grade, you know who my first grade teacher was? Her, well, you want to know who my kindergarten teacher was? This Seidel, first grade copsicker. You glad you're not named that? Second grade Hendricks, third grade Reynolds, fourth grade Blevins, fifth grade Blevins, sixth grade Skinner, seventh. Should we go with, I can tell you who my math teacher was. Hoff was math, Wood was social studies, Bender was science, and um, uh, which one did I miss? Uh, English was Roach. Her last name is Roach. Exactly. And then when we got to, to the eighth grade, should I go there? I can tell you all my teacher all the way through. I remember Mrs. Bruns in uh, eighth grade science. She would stand up there and she would say, Now then, class, open your textbooks, please, to page six. So, and then about two minutes later, she said, Now then, class, open your textbooks, if you would, please, to page seven. I was already on six. I, But that's what she did every day. I got a good memory, don't I? How did I get off on that? What was I talking about? Oh, my mother. No, my mother. So I went first grade. I'd get a bellyache every day, first grade. So I didn't want to be in school. So I remember she put up with it two days, and the third day she made me come in and stare out the window and watch the grass grow. I did that for eight hours. And then I decided, well, it's better to go to school. So Mrs. Copsicker, bless her heart. That was first grade. Can you, how many of you can tell me all your teachers all the way through? One, one person, okay. But notice they brought it. Realize, say they brought him. Say, say it, realize, they brought him. They brought him. See, that influenced Jesus. They brought him. They brought him. They didn't just send him, they brought him. What do they bring him to do to present him to the Lord, to, to God the Father, you know? And then, of course, he was eight days old, so, you know, at eight. Did you know, kids, something I've learned about children, that, you know, when uh, that little Zoe, how old is she? Three months. And she, her, when her parents hold her, she's fine. You give her to somebody else, she starts crying. Now, at three months, they know who their parents are. So I did a test the other day. I said, now turn her around and from the back where she don't know who's got her. And when her parents had her, she didn't cry. When somebody else took her, now she couldn't see them, but she started crying. You know, those little kids are impressionable, aren't they? And they know what's going on. From how old? Three months? Wow. So anyway, they presented him to the Lord. Now, look at this. Now when he's older here, Luke 2.41, let's go there. Luke 2.41. Now notice this, Luke 2.41, his parents went to Jerusalem every what? Every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Are they instilling something into Jesus as a child? 
Sure they are. Now, uh, we can, now this 12 years old, now we can spin ahead in time to when he's 30 years old, Luke 4, 16, look at this. Notice this. So he came, so he came to Nazareth. Now this is Luke 4, 16, he's approximately 30 years old here, where he had been brought up. Now watch this. And as his what? As his... As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, as his custom was, what did he do on the Sabbath day? He went into the synagogue. Where did he learn that? Learned that from his parents, didn't he? Didn't he learn that from his parents? He learned that from his parents. He learned that from his parents. Well, I tell you, parents are so important. So important. Now, look at this here, and we could go on and on, but look at Proverbs 22, verse 6 in the Amplified Bible. Proverbs 22, verse 6 in the Amplified Bible. We see Jesus being taken to the temple at eight days, and then again, every year by year, we see him at 12 12 years old. He goes up there, and much we could say about that, and then we see him at 30, you know, as his custom was, into the temple. On the into the synagogue on the Sabbath, so it was instilled with him by his parents. Now look at this, Proverbs twenty-two verse six in the Amplified Bible. Many of you are familiar with this. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and then we'll come back to that part in, in the brackets. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he or she is old, they will what? Not depart from it. You've heard that before, haven't you? Train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Uh, and I don't know how I can explain that any better. It's train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. I did was able to bring some encouragement one time to a couple that was upset because their children were, I don't know, probably in their mid to late teens and they weren't serving the Lord and and this couple was upset and and they Pull, they pulled the scripture out and they said, what do, what, do, what, do, what do you do about that, pastor? We trained this child. We did everything we could and now they're, you know, 16, 17 and they're not, they're not going in the way they should go. And I didn't know how to answer them, but thank God for the Holy Ghost, amen. Just right down on the inside, just right down on the inside, he spoke to me, he said, tell them uh, their child isn't old yet. Well, you stew on that. Think about that for a while. When they're what? When they're old. You put the good things into them. That's all you can do. Pray for them. And the Bible said, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Just believe they'll as they get older, they'll come back to it. Can you say amen? amen? But notice something else that we learn here from the Amplified Bible. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Now look at this in the brackets here. And in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And in keeping with his individual gift or bent. What does that mean? Well, if your child has an interest, let's say they're a boy and they have an interest in in baseball, there's no reason to try to make a golfer out of them if they want to play baseball. Is that right? Or if you have a daughter and and she's uh, 
interested in, uh, in, in, in singing and she has a pretty voice, there's no reason to try to make a, a, a gymnast out of her. Is that correct? Is that right? You know, uh, we've seen this again and again over the years, many times a parent, because they weren't able to be fulfilled in a certain avenue, like sports, I'm using that as an example. So then they try to live that out through their children. And, you know, a lot of times a child doesn't have a, a bent or a gift in a certain area, but the parent drives them to do it. You follow what I'm saying? And boy, that can tear a child up. That can tear a child up. You know, maybe a child has an interest in, in, uh, in, in art and they're a great artist, but you want them to be a scientist. Well, you know, let them be an artist. Are you okay? You know, uh, and we've seen this in ministry a lot of times. You'll see where the uh, a pastor and his wife have children and, and they want them to follow them in the ministry. Well, there's nothing wrong. And, and certainly we should want our children to follow us in the things of God. Is that right? And follow us in, in serving God? Certainly, certainly. All of us should want that. But we've seen this where the, the parents will try to force their children to become ministers, you know. And they have no, no interest in, they have no, no real calling or interest to being in the ministry, but the parents will just force them and force them and, you know, stickle them and needle them to try to make them be a minister. And again and again, it just winds up in debacle, you know. Now, we should want our children to come to church and serve God, and, but, you know, they don't have to stand behind a pulpit and preach. Is that correct? So all this is simply saying here is that, you know, as your child grows, be sensitive and find out what it is that they're, what is their bent, and then, you know, encourage them along those lines. Now I want to conclude here. All of this that we said is vitally important, but I want to conclude here by kind of reiterating something that I've already said, but uh, we need to hammer this home and then, and then we'll close up the service and dedicate uh, the, the young baby. But go to Second Chronicles 26, verse 16 with me. I want you to really pay attention here. Pay attention. Oh, this this goes for the for parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, church family. Goes for me as a pastor. Goes for all of us. Look at this. Second Chronicles twenty six verse sixteen, talking about this man Uzziah who became a great king, and God really helped him, and and he sought God, and God really helped him. He did a lot of good things. But when he got to a certain point in his life, said when he was strong, look, you got Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen. Do you have that? But when he was strong, his what? His what? His his heart was. His, there was a heart issue. His heart was lifted up to his to his what? Now notice his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord. Now watch this. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. Now, let me ask you this. In the natural, in the physical things, can heart problems be inherited? You know, I'm talking the blood pump now. You know, it, it can, can heart issues be inherited? Are they typically inherited? Like if the father had heart issues, then... The, the children, you know, and because that's one thing they ask me when I go into the doctor, they want to know, did my, you know, did my dad have any heart issues? Because there's heredity, is that right? 
Well, you need to understand just like natural heart problems can be handed down, spiritual heart issues can be handed down. Did you hear me? I said spiritual heart issues can be handed down from generation to the next. Spiritual heart issues. Notice here, this man Uzziah had a, had a heart problem. I'm not talking about the blood pump now. I'm talking about he had an attitude problem, didn't he? His heart was lifted up and it resulted in his what? In his destruction. We're talking serious stuff here now. To his destruction. Now, where did he get this heart or this attitude problem? Well, let's go back to chapter 25. Open your Bibles to chapter 25. Well, you're right there in 26. Go back to 20. I knew I'd work that in somewhere. But this is, this is serious now. Go back to 25. And I'm going to read verse 2 in the NIV. Now watch this. Second Chronicles 25, 2 in the NIV. New International Version. Now this is talking about Uzziah's daddy, his father, Amaziah. Talking about his daddy. Now watch this. It said he, this is Uzziah's dad, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now now if we stop right there, is that a good thing? That's a good thing. Boy, I wish we could stop right there. But when we read on, we're going to see why Uzziah, this man's son, had a heart problem, had an attitude problem. Notice this guy here did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not what? But not wholeheartedly. One version says, but not with the right attitude. Let me give you some examples. You can bring, now now it's good to bring your child to church, not send them, but bring them, right? You can bring your child to church. Is that a good thing? But while you're driving to church, I don't know why we have to go to church. I don't want to, I wanted to sleep in this morning. Uh. So, now you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it with a wrong attitude. Or you may not even say anything, but but while you're walking up to the church with your children, now are you coming to church? Yeah, is that a good thing? Yeah, but here we come in. I've watched this this over the years. Now, are they bringing their children to church? Is that a good thing? And they haven't spoke a word, but, you know, actions. Now, now, let me tell you what. That can destroy a child. Did you hear me? Something that it can destroy them. Yeah, but you're doing the right thing. I, I've watched it. I've watched it over the years where the parents will even serve in the church. They'll serve in the church. And, and, but, but, but at home, there's just not, not, a, not a, a right attitude towards the Lord. I've seen more than one young person destroyed by this. I'm thinking of one right now that, that 
that they saw a person come to church and a, and a couple come to church and they'd come on Sundays and they'd always have a smile on their face and they were always, you know, and when they'd come to church, they were not dragging in. They, they came to church bubbly, you know. And this person, this young person I'm talking about saw this bubbly couple that come to church. But then this person I'm talking about here, this young person lived with this couple for several months however long it was. And he saw what they were really like at home. And that young person today has turned away from the Lord. And that young person told me himself, he said, if that's what Christianity is all about, if that's what Christians are all about, if that's, they're gonna go to church and act one way at church and then go home and backbite and talk bad and not live right and not live what they're talking, said then, then to heck with it. I don't, I don't want none of this Christianity. Isn't that, isn't that sad? So you see, Uzziah had a heart problem, but I'm convinced he had it because his daddy had a heart problem, attitude problem. He saw his daddy do the right things, but he saw him do it with a bad, a bad attitude, a not right attitude. And this goes for daddies, goes for mamas, goes for all of us. We're all an example. You understand that? And, 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 and I just, I wanna say it again. We're talking about the future of young people here. And, and the Bible says that Uzziah's heart was lifted up to his destruction. It didn't manifest in him for years and years and years. But what his daddy did all those years back, eventually you see it and it destroyed this man. What his dad did. And it goes for moms, it goes for all of us. So if you've been doing the right things in front of, of, of the Lord, but your heart hasn't been right, what do you need to do? You need to make a heart change. Is that right? You can do it that quick. Now remember, you can say it that quick you can do it that quick, but is the saying easier or the doing? The saying's easier. Which is harder? The doing. Words are cheap, but actions is what God's looking for. Did you get anything out of this today? Now, on the back of your bulletin, I, I'm just going to refer you to it. There, my wife put a bunch of good dedication scriptures in there. You can look at those on your own time. And after we uh, finish this baby dedication, if you're here today and you have never dedicated your life to the Lord Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. You can do that by coming up here and uh, there'll be some men and women up here in just a few minutes and you can dedicate your life to Jesus. Miss hell, make heaven. Won't that be wonderful? If you need to rededicate your life in any area,